welcome to the Brad Worthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Brad Worthy Culture. Today, we're chatting with Faye Manolios. Faye is the head of Total Rewards for Capital One. Capital One is on a mission to help customers succeed by bringing ingenuity, simplicity, and humanity back to banking. Faye has held a variety of leadership positions across human resources at Capital One. She was named head of Total Rewards, her current role in 2017, uh, which includes compensation, recognition, benefits, global mobility, and TR marketing and associate experience for more than 50,000 associates worldwide. And somehow she found time to be on my podcast today. So Faye, thank you so much for, for being part of it. Thank you for having me. You make me sound so good there, Jordan. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't write the bio. I don't know who did, but it's it's a fantastic bio. Faye, I'd love to talk about you for a minute. It, it's, it sounds big. It sounds grandiose to your point, this big role at Capital One. You've also worked some other big companies, Citibank, Accenture, SunTrust, back when it was SunTrust, a whole bunch of notable brands there. But I'd love to hear what preceded those huge companies and huge roles for you. What kind of led you down this path into human resources and wanting to be a a people leader in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I think I always thought it was quite accidental until I made the connection. So I was born in Greece. I migrated with my family to the United States when I was four. An interesting tidbit is I went to kindergarten and didn't speak any English. So really, you know, embedded in through my culture as an immigrant in this country. And I, I really never, I never imagined I'd be in this role. Mm. I, in my early twenties, decided to move back to Greece, just to really felt a sense of need to get closer to my culture and stayed there for five years. And then when I returned, I didn't really know what to do. I had oh. an English literature degree and someone suggested getting into human resources. <laughs> and, and I did. And I I really just, I loved, I loved the work that I was doing. I was more in a, initially in my career in HR, more on the backend process side. And I really realized that I really thrive in solving problems, making things easier, more efficient, using technology. And I migrated into the compensation space And I have to say, that's when I realized, oh, there's something I can really connect to. You know, we struggled when I was growing up. And and then to to realize that I could help employees succeed Mm. financially was just so rewarding to me. And I found a lot of purpose Mm. in human resources, but I am an introvert. And so I was really happy to stay on the like number side (laughs) of things. And I... I really love using data, using technology to really drive value for our associates. And that is what I get to do in this role all the time, which is which is what I absolutely love. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing your story a little bit. I really appreciate it. Well, speaking of using data, I'd imagine data is of utmost importance when you have 50,000 employees or associates, as you guys call them. 
I'm sure if time would stand still, your team and maybe you, even as an introvert, would grab coffee once a week with every single one of those 50,000 and listen to them and get to know them and understand. But that, but back here in reality, you've got a real challenge in front of you to really think about that many people in an intimate way. So how on earth do you go about, for those of us that are managing 20 people, 100 people, 500 people, how on earth do you go about listening to the needs of that many people and responding at such scale and at such an unprecedented time as these last 12 months? Yeah, I I love that question. And I'll start with like the founding days of our company was really grounded on the use of data right, to really innovate for our customers and help them succeed. And so that is really fundamental to our culture at Capital One is using data and driving technologies to really innovate and solve really hard problems. And we're really fortunate to be founder-led, but that still like permeates throughout every way we talk about like our customers, whether that is our external customers or internal customers. So being data-driven is really fundamental to what we do. And I love the fact that at Capital One, we all learn from each other. There's a lot of wisdom of the crowd. And so the things that we do on our customer side to understand like our millions and millions of customers are sort of the techniques that we also follow on the associate side. So I'll give you some examples. Like we use a lot of not only surveying, but also using our data to extract the insights that we are seeking to understand. We do empathy interviews. So much of what our businesses also do for our customers, we sit down and we talk to a sampling of our associates to understand more deeply their insights, their sentiment, how we could be helping. And so we use all of that in combination to really drive our focus So I'll give you an example. We were really yearning to understand how we could improve the health outcomes of our associates. And again, we went out and we did a bunch of empathy interviews across different segments of our population. And then we also harnessed our data. And we realized that we needed to make care more affordable for our frontline associates because they were not really utilizing and getting the full value of our health plans. And we made some very systemic changes to the ways in which we approach cost. We implemented free PCP care as a result of like all that information that we gathered. So listening is really important part of of our culture at Capital One. Yeah. I love that. The the integrate, I mean, you really don't have a choice at that scale, right? It's it's you have to listen literally but we also have to listen to the clues and to the cues, right, of what your people are doing and experiencing and, and so forth to get the perspective, the global perspective of all the, the diverse needs and lifestyles there. That sounds like a really overwhelming task to me, but to someone like you that loves data and people equally, perhaps that's just where you, you thrive, it sounds like. That's really neat. Yeah, I mean, you know, another great example was at some point we had mobilized and taken some really swift action, right, when the pandemic hit. But then we wondered, what's next? Like, what do our associates need next? And there was a lot of speculation. There's a lot of speculation hypotheses. 
And we took a step back and said, now's the time to go ask. And so we did a really comprehensive survey and our hypotheses were wrong. Really what people needed was, was their office chair. And so we quickly pivoted and we would have been down like the wrong path, you know, had we just gone with like our hypotheses of what we thought might be needed. And really it came down to like a very basic need. And we mobilized that very quickly and allowed our associates to order chairs. And so, I mean, it is from the the really complex problems that we solve all the way to like, no, I just need a chair so I can not have back pain. Right. So it, it is really interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. We can really overthink things at times. People have been thinking about parents in particular during the pandemic. And I am a parent, but also get a chance to talk to many others. And our company serves a lot of parents and so forth. And you would think, hey, it's about childcare and virtual learning and some of these things. And that, and while that's true, there's so many parents that are just like, I just need a meal delivered. Like I just, I just can't deal with dinner on top of virtual schooling and doing my job and trying to keep the house in order. And I, you wouldn't guess that. You would have thought, hey, it's it's this specific need that we're meeting. But sometimes, you know, you, you pull the data together and find out you're just wrong. I'm curious, what were the assumptions that kind of ended up proving out to be less less important than than what you had assumed? Do you remember? Yeah, no, we really grappled with, well, initially we increased our time. Off. Okay. We we instituted quarantine pay, quarantine leave. We really focused on, first and foremost, the the safety uh, of our associates, right? So we, we Im- immediately enabled everyone to work remotely that could. In fact, I think we mobilized something like 6,000 of our call center associates to work from home within like a ridiculous time frame, like in in a matter of like a week or ten days, <laughs> six thousand people were you know virtually working from home that right. you wouldn't consider could be mobilized to work from home like a call center associate. Right. So safety was really a primary focus. We closed branches, we refitted them with more safety measures, and closed our cafes for a really long time. And then from like physical safety, we really shifted to financial security. So. Like I mentioned, quarantine pay, but additional leave. We paused on incentive plans and having people feel really financially insecure, Uh right? So we, we, we really thought about financial security for our most vulnerable and those that were on incentive plans, those that maybe felt a little insecure about whether we would scale back on their hours. We promised like full schedules and full pay. And then we shifted to like appreciation thanking our frontline associates who actually had to go in with additional pay per hour. But then we got into the spots of like, now what? Right. And some of the thinking was, oh, we need, we need more time off. We need to provide more time off. Or we need to provide support for parents that mm-hmm. looked a certain way. Right. And to your point, even if you take a group like parents, they didn't all need the same thing. No. So I think that our hypothesis of a more time off was really not the solution. Hmm. More flexibility seemed to really rise to the top. Like just yeah. talk to me right. and understand what I need. And it may be that I need to start at 10 o'clock because I need to get my kids settled hmm. or I need to take a break, you know, at two o'clock. And right. So it was more be flexible with me. Yeah. Right. right. Be be empathetic and more accommodating. 
and really lead with heart. And that's what we really mm. encourage all of our people leaders to do, put in place like new practices to address those more individual needs. Right, right. Including an ergonomic chair to sit in. <laughs> A chair. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. important. Yeah, I think it's interesting what what you just described could be put as employees are have different expectations than they did 12 months ago, 14 months ago, however we want to say it. And I think as a result of that, according to the news anyway, and I loved it, I'd love to get your take on whether or not you agree with this, but from what I read in the last 2 months, there's supposedly this wave of employee turnover that's coming in 2021 and then has already started. Folks that maybe they wanted to leave their company, but they did, didn't feel secure enough during the pandemic, whatever the reasons are. What do you think about that? Do you agree that there is a wave of turnover coming? And how, how has this or will this affect Capital One in, in your estimation? I think that there's a lot of speculation in this space. I mean, yeah. what we I like to focus on like, what do we know that maybe is, you know, more fact-based, right? Indeed. So <laughs> we measure engagement of our associates mm -hmm. on a quarterly basis. And what we have seen is an increase in engagement. So that's a fact. Right. We did see a decrease in attrition. And so you could hypothesize, I suppose, that those that have waited to make a move for whatever reason mm -hmm. might be ready to do that as things stabilize. Sure. Will there be this huge wave of exits? I, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't see any indications of that. So I don't think so. I think we are deeply listening again to our associates. We you know, have been asking them not only like, what do you need in this time, but also what does return look like? What, yeah. what are you looking for in the future? How has your productivity been? How, how happy are you working remotely? Would you go into the office now if you were able to? And really getting a good perspective of where associates are yeah. and we'll, we'll continue to respond in that way. Right. So I, I'm not seeing any indications of a big wave of attrition, yeah. but I think it also is like, how did companies really respond in this moment, in this challenge? Yeah. You know, that's what associates respond to, like mm -hmm. the, the, the loyalty that you create by putting your employees first is really going to show up later, I think, in the ways that you can retain your best talent. Yeah. No, it's encouraging to hear because... Uh, to be honest, I mean, folks that write articles about there's this big wave of <laughs> employee exits coming, they don't have access to the data that you do, right? So I, I wanted to ask you and get your perspective because you, you just, you've you got more to go off of than someone that might be speculating and, and getting a good click-through rate on a bit of a fear-based message. So I tend to look at it in your direction. I think that may be true for companies that did not respond well and did not support their people and did not listen, right? But for those that have, I bet there's loyalty that's been generated all the more, right? And, and folks that are leaning into their culture and, and feeling more connected to their employer than, than they did 12 months ago. So very situational, I would I would imagine. I think what might be interesting too is we probably all have our personal stories of what this time has meant for us. Sure. And I can appreciate that maybe at the human level, we have a different perspective of what matters most. Mm. And so maybe we will see movement. Mm. 
-hmm. right? Maybe we will see movement, not because I don't like my company or I like this role, but maybe because I I have a vision for what I might want to do that's different than what I'm doing right now. And I I don't know. I'm curious to see if that, I'm, I'm curious to see if that plays out. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be at scale, you know? Yeah. So one, one thing that I've been thinking about personally, and I'm sure your organization is as well is is around recruiting. I've been thinking, man, what a, what a golden opportunity, right? If there are these super talented people that their company maybe didn't respond real well, maybe they're not so happy. And in these next six months, they're going to be looking for a new home. I actually read a quote recently from Richard Fairbanks, so the, the founder of Capital One, not that I have to tell you, but for our listeners, he was quoted saying, great talent is the most talked about and least delivered. People spend 1% of their time recruiting and the rest of the time managing their recruiting mistakes. <laughs> I thought, wow, that is both insightful and terrifying to think about. But great talent's always been important. But I, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, with the opportunity perhaps to, to land some top talent in these next few months, is your organization or should organizations be thinking about the desired traits or attributes of future associates differently? Are there new traits, new attributes that you're looking for? Because we, everyone's saying employees are expecting something different from their employer, but should employers be expecting something different from their employees as a result of the way the world's shifting and changing? Yeah, I know. Like I, I certainly think this time and the challenges that we've faced in the last year probably identified some fast adoption that companies have to embrace to really be relevant in the future. And so I think if companies are not thinking about how quickly the world is changing and what needs to be true in terms of their talent to enable the business to succeed, they will miss out this opportunity. Mm. And you're right, Rich always focuses on talent. (laughs) In fact, he says, talent is our business. Mm. Uh, that is, you know, a quote from him. People are really at the heart of Capital One, and we absolutely need to make sure that the talent that we're hiring is the talent that we need for us to succeed as a as a technology company that delivers banking, which is a, another you know term that Rich would use. Then it's a high high stakes to get the right talent in because those are the, that that's the talent that is incredibly high in high demand. But I mean, I've also over the years have seen an evolution and even like the skill sets of our our frontline, how complex it is to service a customer. And if our technology is intuitive, then the most complex calls come to the call center as an example, right? And the future of skills that we need, even in our call centers and the evolution of our call centers and really focusing on customer advocacy and really understanding what customers need is really different from the 10 years ago of a call center that would just basically change your address and answer some basic questions. So it is pivotal, I believe, that you can look into the future and realize where you need to go and the talent that's going to get you there. Mm. And that is incredibly critical. Yeah. Do you feel like with the world changing so fast that you're not really hiring for what people know, but for what they can learn? 
like for for their capacity to learn quickly and and adapt and change is that more of a consideration than what they know right this very minute given the pace of change yeah i mean i i definitely see that in capital one mm-hmm. the adaptability the ability to solve really hard problems the ability to collaborate the ability to be humble in that you don't know everything and go out and mm-hmm. seek again the wisdom of the crowd to innovate, to make mistakes and learn quickly, right? Resiliency, adaptability, collaboration. Those are traits, not a subject matter expertise right. that you that you gain. Yeah. And I think those those are definitely what it, I would say really critical mm. attributes that that are important yeah. to us, us in our business. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And when you think about like the last year, Jordan. There was no playbook. Right? So <laughs> the future doesn't have a playbook as it hasn't happened yet. And you can elaborate some of your experience for sure. And absolutely past experience is important and it creates a richness of wisdom right. for, for sure. Right? I don't want to say that I don't want to imply that it doesn't, but being also adaptable to situations that you've never seen before are really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you the most obvious question in March of 2021, but also probably a difficult one. What in the world are we going to do post-COVID or when we reach this hive immunity or whatever the case may be? What, what, where is your team in the process of making these decisions around where employees work and how they work and how many hours and which days? And where do you, where do you think things are going to land from your perspective, at least. I know companies are going to land in different places in those decisions, but where do you, where are you guys leaning? It's a great question. We were quick to leave the yeah. office. And as Rich has said to Associates at Capital One, we will be slow to return. Mm-hmm. So we're not rushing to open up. We have been kind of pushing the data out and really taking a look at what's happening uh, across the board, how how confident do our associates feel? When will they be ready as well? Right. And so that that is going to weigh heavily on our decision of when it is appropriate to return. And I think then at that point, I think it will be slow. I think it will be staggered. I think yep. we'll we'll learn what works and adjust. So I don't think we'll be sort of all in from a flip of the switch and everybody's back. Yeah. I think it also. We're taking some time now to really understand what success looks like for Capital One. Mm. We have amazing work spaces. It is really important for us to continue to innovate, drive efficiency, collaboration is really important. So I think working together will be really important still. And I think our workspaces will continue to be really important to Capital One. But I also believe that we will see more flexibility. And I don't know what shape of that flexibility will take at this point, but I think we will see more flexibility. And that will be important because our associates say that that is important. But I I still think our vibrant campuses are going to be part of that value proposition. Collaboration, innovation will be really important. And, and flexibility will be really important. I can't describe what it, it will look like completely yeah. at this point, because again, you know, we're taking a pretty slow and steady pace, but 
some companies have been really bold and they've come out and they've made declarations of like, yeah. you can work from anywhere and forever. I, that is not, that is probably not where we will land only because I, I believe that embedded in our culture is real collaboration, agile teams coming together to solve really big problems. And some of that is best facilitated when it is together. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. If, if behavior is any indication, 99% of the time in my company, we're working remotely, but when the founders need to plan and strategize and talk about the future and whiteboard stuff out, we go to one of the founders lake house, we sit out on the deck <laughs> 10 feet away from each other with a whiteboard. And, and we've done that twice over the course of the last year. Because I, I just simply cannot imagine trying to do that virtually. It just feels incomplete. Whereas, you know, 90 plus percent of the things that we need to get done, it's to it totally works. It works just fine. But I'm with you. There's just something there that you, you can't quite capture. So I, 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 for one, am personally in a hurry, not organizationally, but personally, I'm in a hurry to get back to the office and, and have that environment again. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah. I'm like, I wish I had that whiteboard right behind me so I could draw for you what I mean. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know that that may be the future uh, backdrop for everybody. <laughs> everybody just got a whiteboard behind them. So one thing that I've thought about, and I, I think you and I have discussed briefly before, but if we end up in a position where We've got a lot of in-office associates, but we still have some virtual associates, whether it's because of geography or it's because maybe they've got a rare condition that they're not responsive to the vaccine or whatever the case may be. How do we think about bringing equity to everyone, right? Knowing that some are going to have that advantage of being, being able to rub elbows and have those water cooler conversations and others can just easily feel, as they have in the past, in most organizations, a little left out, a little not considered, not seen. Do you think there's going to be kind of innovation even within the workplace physically that connects us to the remote folks and, and tethers us more permanently? Yeah, I think so. I, I think what this taught us, it's not like we didn't have associates in multiple locations trying to collaborate at the same time before, sure. but what it has taught us is everyone's in the same situation now. So there's a lot of understanding of what it means all be a box on the screen. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think there will be some residual sort of empathy about that when we return. You'll be way more aware of that because you'll remember what it felt like at least for a while. Right. I think it was important then to be inclusive and be really cognizant of the audience that you're interacting with. And I think that will continue to be the case. I think technology has come a really long way the way we're using it. I think we'll also continue to shape interactions when you have maybe hybrid workforces or continued collaboration across sites. And, you know, I think we've gotten really creative. I don't know about you, but we send out these curated boxes so people can have similar experiences, even if we're working from home. So like, oh. I'm, I've got this therapy dough I'm just playing with right now. And it was a curated box that we sent to everyone on my team. And, and, and so we have a, a common experience. I think you can take those learnings and apply those 
and continue to shape it. I think we're, we're so creative. We're mm. just tapping into that, right? Yeah. And continuing to be really thoughtful about where everyone is and being inclusive is, is, is just going to continue to be really important, especially when we return. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that being on the podcast is stressing you out enough that you're, you're grabbing that therapy <laughs> goop there. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm just, I'm just playing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there's so much creativity that comes from need. And, and to an extent, I think that remote workers, virtual workers, occasional virtual work, whatever you want to call it, I think their experience will be greatly enhanced compared to before COVID. And, and not that I would wish a global pandemic on us, but there are, there are always things that come out of suffering and really hard experiences yeah. and the creativity that is driven by that scenario that will benefit a lot of us and, and nothing more highly than that empathy that you brought up. I've felt that more than I ever have in my professional life, just feeling connected to people that I have no real other reason other than being two human beings to feel connected to. But there's just this sense of you're not a cog in the wheel. You're not just someone I'm trying to negotiate with or get something from. You're a person and I see you in your home. With your family, with your cat walking across the screen or with your kids tugging at your leg while you're trying to talk or whatever the case may be. And I I hope we don't lose that too quickly. You know, I think we have really pulled people into our homes. They've seen our animals, our children, our friends, our, yeah, the noises in the next room. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's felt more intimate, right? Like it's felt more personal. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you in particular, because you you are in the compensation space, and I know I'm talking about more broad people strategy. And so just to get into your area of expertise for a few minutes, what do you think from a compensation standpoint is coming down the track? You know, you might have folks that turn to homeschool that may not have prior because they did that for this year and it went well and, and they want to go down that track or or maybe they've like you said before, people are reorienting their priorities and thinking about what they want out of life as a result of this past year. So maybe there's a, a side gig that they want to start or whatever. Do you think that we're going to see more demand for part-time work, for gig work, that the gig economy will find its way into the corporate world more fully and that our compensation model might need to update a bit between just a simple full-time and part-time and there are things in between where are we headed there in your opinion in total rewards like the the ultimate vision for us to help associates like live their best lives is to provide benefits and compensation that is personalized like to the degree of one we say right like that's Uh that's been that's been an aspiration for us. Our vision for total awards at Capital One is to have really compelling total awards that empower associates to live their best lives. Yeah. And in order to do that, we believe that is personalized to the degree of one. And what I mean by that is it's all about choice. When you get into choice, one size really doesn't fit all the needs of our associates. Even like, you know, we were talking about earlier, even parents, like as a segment, right? Like not all parents need the same thing. Right. In the point in your life, in the point of your career, you might want and need different things. And 
what might be important to you today may not be the same thing that is important to you next year. And so really moving towards this vision of providing choice, I think is incredibly important for companies to be thinking about in the space of of total rewards. And that is going to revolve around how we use technology and and, and data and thinking really thoughtfully about listening to our associates, listening to what they need, understanding the demographic of your population and understanding what your business strategy is right? And how the talent strategies that are required in order to deliver on the business strategy is tied to the total rewards package you offer that is compelling to that talent. So it's very cyclical. And I think it's important for total rewards professionals to be looking at that, like what is important for their company Mm. or their business and talent strategies. And that's not going to look the same across industries. So for us, Jordan, what that might mean is, you know, gig is never going to be really that important because the way we deliver as a technology company is is truly embedded software engineers and agile teams. And so the gig economy may not be really that important to us, but it may be for other companies whose strategies are a little different. And so it's really just understanding more deeply, like what leads to success. Uh, Now, I do think flexible work arrangements are going to be really important. And we need to be thoughtful about like how we build all of our people programs around enabling those things. It's not just about pay, but it's also about performance management and it's a whole host of other things, right? Right. How is my people manager going to support me if I'm working a part-time schedule and what expectations might be for my role? So I think all those things have to work in tandem. Yeah. That's really interesting. That is way ahead, I think, of where most companies are thinking yet. But I, it's it's obvious to me that if you're going to talk about flexibility and you're going to talk about choice, where you're going to end up, right, is exactly what you described. It's personalization to the degree of one. You fall short of that. I think it just ends up being frustrating, right, yeah. to the associate, to the employee. It's either, hey, give me the Give me the rules. Give me the parameters with which I need to work and live and get paid. And I'll just sort of fall in line. Right. But but don't tease me with personalization and then not actually give it to me. Right. Yeah. And I know that that's aspirational. It's not something you can flip a switch. It's going to take years, I would imagine, for any organization to fully arrive at your vision. I think that those aspirations were really challenging and complex operationally years ago. Right. But now with Mm. technologies and companies like Fringe that offer ways in which companies can more easily sort of implement those things, I think they are in reach. It's still hard and it's still aspirational. Yeah. But it's not as impossible as it felt, you know, years ago, right? The the advancements that we've made in technology, the advancements that we've made with fundamentally like harnessing our data and understanding who our associates are and their preferences, we're getting closer to that. Now, to the degree of one is an interesting challenge, but we can aim high. That's right. That's right. I think that is a high note to end on. And because I want to respect and I really do appreciate your time. I, I cannot imagine having the role you do and all of the very complex problems you're trying to solve setting aside all the aspirational things that you guys are are working on. So 
Thank you so much for taking the time, Faye. And you can put the stress ball down. I'll let you go, but really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jordan. All right. Thanks for listening to Bragworthy Culture today. Really fascinating perspective from Faye Manolios as she talks to us about not only the future of work, but the future of the employee experience and really getting to a place where we can personalize it down to the degree of one. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.